Good morning once again. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 6. Maybe you want to put your bulletin or a note card there, and you can close it up just for a moment. We'll get to it shortly. Um, but before we get into the Word today, uh, I just have a few uh, events in the life of the church I want to talk to you about. Uh, first of all, you'll notice that we have a yellow flower up here indicating that we have a death in the church family. Uh, Ed Christofferson uh, passed away this last week and went home to be with his Lord. And uh, Ed's been battling uh, for some time now. And so on one hand, we're grateful that the Lord in his grace brought him home. Uh, but on the other hand, it leaves a gaping hole in our hearts as we experience the loss of him in our life. So please be praying for the Christofferson family uh, in this time. Uh, the visitation for uh, Ed will be on Monday from 4 to 7, and the funeral will be scheduled for next Tuesday at 11 a.m. here at the church. So please be mindful of that. On another note, Sue Davids, who has served our church family so faithfully and so well for the past nine years as our custodian, has retired as of Friday. And can you imagine today is her birthday? How cool is that? Um, but you know what? Sue is not here with us today. She's with her family celebrating her birthday. How dare she do that, right? But if you uh, get a chance over the next couple of weeks, please do seek her out and thank her for her faithful service to the church. She has just been a great godly example of what it means to live and love Jesus well as she has served us. I also want to let you know that Mike Fugelberg is joining our staff uh, as our new uh, caretaker of the, of the facility. And so uh, one of the things that uh, he brings is a very similar thing that Sue had a servant heart. And we're so grateful for Mike. He is a gem and uh, he is so mindful of others. And if you see Mike around, welcome him on staff and let him know how much you appreciate him. All right, I want to transition to talking a little bit about Bibles. Bibles matter to us here at Alexandria Covenant Church. We are a church that um, upholds the Word of God uh, firmly and securely, and so I want to direct your eyes right in front of you to the pew, and there's a little black book that says Holy Bible. Grab that thing and hold on to it just for a brief moment. What I want you to feel and experience with it is the newness of it. You notice it's not blue, but it's black. You'll notice that it feels crisp and new because it is. Uh, honestly, I preach out of two different translations, the New Living uh, Translation and also the English Standard Version and the ESV. And so uh, we had somebody who was gracious and willing to make a donation to the church so that we could put a Bible translation that I use from the pulpit in the pews. Now, I use two different ones, and mostly through Acts, I use the NLT, but we come around to the ESV, and so we had to pick one. We picked the ESV, and that's why it's in the pew in front of you. So um, let me explain Bible translation just briefly so that you can understand the significance and importance of it. So there's three different categories that we would put Bible translation into. The first one over here would be a paraphrase. And that would be like uh, something that it, it, uh, the translation, not even a translation, is the Bible kind of means this. That would be like the message, okay? And then in the middle of Bible translation, we have what we call a thought-for-thought -thought translation. 
And that's what the New Living Translation is. And that is what I'm going to be using today. The thought for thought is easy to use with large passages, and it's easy to understand and stuff like that. But then there's the other category, which is word-for-word translation. And the ESV lives not in the thought for thought or even in the word-for-word, but closer to the word-for-word translation than it does the thought for thought. And so we find it to be a good translation. It is uh, true and accurate to uh, the Greek and to the Hebrew into the English language. And so we got to pick one, and that's the one we picked, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Now, here's one other really cool thing about the Bible you hold in your hand. It is no longer small print. It is large print. I hope you can see that. That's, that's worth celebrating in itself, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I agree. You know, as we think of the Bible, um, if you are joining us on the Bible read-through this year, you'll know that this past week, if you're up to date on your Bible reading, that we just spent this past week in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 7, and 8, and you learned all about the life of Stephen. And how significant is that to today's message? Because today's message really is all about Stephen. Now, when I planned all this, we kind of, I'm kidding, I didn't plan that at all. God planned that and it just kind of came together. So I'm really excited because if you are on the Bible reading plan, uh, you are well-versed in the life of Stephen for this message. And one of the things that I get excited about when we talk about Stephen is that he is one of those great examples in the Bible of what it means to be like Jesus. And ultimately, as a Christian, that is our goal. And that's where we're going this morning, looking at Stephen's life as we look at our own life, becoming like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the life that we can gain through the person of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, reveal to us the significance of living our life in such a way that we are filled with the Spirit as we live in obedience to your Word and to your Spirit. Help us to live boldly and confidently in this world as we proclaim the good news about Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you grew up in the 1980s or 1990s, and you had any interest in basketball, um, you would want to be like Mike. Exactly. We all know that phrase, don't we? It actually still is here today. I want to be like Mike. Mike who? Michael Jordan. I mean, come on. If you were a kid in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was likely that you owned a pair of Nike Air Jordans, or at least you wanted a pair. Uh, you would put that wrist, you'd put that sweatband on your forearm, and you'd grab a basketball. You probably had posters of Air Jordan on your wall. You would run around with a basketball and imagine that you could fly through the air and you'd stick your tongue out. And I mean, that's what it was like to be like Mike, wasn't it? You know, I got to believe that in every generation, there is that hero that everybody wants to be like. Maybe in your generation, it wasn't Michael Jordan. But who was the hero in your generation that you wanted to be like? You know, as a Christian, it's the hero that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. 
that every single one of us should want to become like. There isn't a greater hero that we could look to as a Christian to want to become like than the person of Jesus Christ. He is our goal. He is the one that we want to be like. We want to be like Jesus. You know, here at Alexandria Covenant Church, we have a mission statement that says this. We are a people who are committed to loving Jesus, get this, becoming like Jesus so that we can share Jesus with the world. After all, that is the purpose of the church. That's why we exist. We exist so that once we come to know Christ, he puts us into his family and sends us out into the world so that we can tell people about Jesus as we become more and more like him. Well, today we're going to put our attention on Acts chapter 6 and 7 as we look at the life of Stephen. Now, Stephen was a man of God who was characterized by a remarkable Christ-like life and ministry. His ministry was very short-lived. It's likely he was uh, uh, an infant believer, but had maximum impact in both his time as a Christian and his ministry as a Christian. Stephen was a preacher of the gospel, but he was also a, a man full of the Spirit who was chosen and who what we learned about last week was one of the seven men that the apostles appointed to care for the food distribution needs within the church and also to make sure the widows were properly cared for. Now, it's interesting when we look at the list of seven men that the apostles asked the congregation to appoint, what we learn about these men was that the apostles gave the framework for how the church was to select these seven individuals. They gave the qualifications. And then the apostles turned to the congregation and said, now choose the seven men that you want to be servants and oversee this food program and caring for the widows. The congregation thought it was a great idea, and so they chose seven men. In verse 5 of chapter 6, it starts by listing Stephen as the first man that was chosen. And then Luke gives a description, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Luke tells us that Stephen was a man of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he was listed first amongst the seven might tell us of his significance or the priority of him being a servant leader. What Luke's going to do is he's going to give us a glimpse into a couple of these individuals' lives throughout Acts. Really, Philip and Stephen, and Stephen goes first, and then we learn about Philip a little bit later on, and the others we really don't learn much about beyond what is said here. What we know about Stephen is that pretty much chapter 6 and 7 tell us everything we know about Stephen. As a man of God, we also know he was the first martyr the first one to give his life for the gospel in the church. But Stephen was so much more than that. He was a man who was willing to be bold in his faith. 
Proclaim the gospel in any and all situations and circumstances. And stand firm in his faith when the going got tough. Essentially, Stephen, full of the spirit and wisdom, debated with the Jews. And he was such a great debater, not because of his skill set, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was in him. That they accused him of blasphemy, put him on trial, and essentially murdered him doesn't seem fair. I agree. But this event in the life of the church actually catapulted the church. It launched the church into the world to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us in Acts 1.8 when he said, the gospel will begin in Jerusalem and then it will go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So how was the gospel going to get out of Jerusalem? Through the persecution of the church, The church couldn't stay there any longer, so they moved outward, and so did the gospel. It began the journey to the othermost parts of the world. Tertullian, an early church theologian, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And like any seed that is scattered, the hope is that it will produce fruit. I want you to consider for a moment the, the, the seed that blows through the air. I mean, it's happening right now. We just go outside. If you're trying to grow a luscious green lawn, you're probably out there with a fan getting these seeds out of your yard so it doesn't take root. But when the seed of the gospel takes root in your life, what God wants of that seed to do is to grow deep into him so that you can grow up in him and produce great fruit for him. As a seed of the gospel, we are to blow then all over the world, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody and to everybody we meet. Amid the horrific persecution, these believers did just that. They spread the gospel far and wide. And so we pick up in Acts 6, beginning in verse 8, and we read through 15, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, Everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. 
whoa. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, his face is beaming as bright as an angel. Who comes to mind in the Old Testament as one whose face just was bright and shining, that needed to be covered because of his time spent with God? Moses, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God shown on him and shown through him. This was Stephen, a man of great faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit, was shining because Jesus was not only in him, he was living through him. If you're taking notes this morning, point number one is simply that we must live as Jesus would live as Christians. If you're a Christian, then God's desire for you is to live like Jesus. To be like Jesus will require more than just accumulating facts about Jesus and then mimicking Jesus in the way that we act. This is what we do with our childhood heroes. We learn about them, and then we act like them. They don't actually make a difference in our life, and they don't actually change us. We just try to act like them so we can become like them. Well, we can't do that with Jesus. We can't act like Jesus without Jesus living in us. Living as Jesus lived is absolutely impossible if Jesus doesn't live in you. To truly live like Jesus, we must be united with him. And in order to be united to Christ, we must be born again. Being born again happens when we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus Christ and we receive him as our Savior and the Lord of our life. It is then that God places his Holy Spirit inside of us as a guarantee of our inheritance of eternal life but also as the very presence of God within us that gives us power and equips us for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we must draw our power from Him and not rely on ourselves. Stephen was a man like this, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man born again, relying, depending on Jesus in him to advance the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. God chose Stephen for a special assignment. And that special assignment cost Stephen his life. So what do we know about Stephen anyway? As I said, not much. We know what chapter 6 and 7 of Acts tells us about Stephen. And if we were to just do a quick summary of Stephen's life, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we would learn that Stephen was respected or that he had a good reputation among the community. It tells us that he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 6, 5. 
In Acts 6, 8, we realize that he was filled with grace and power. In Acts 6, 8, we recognize that he was filled with gifts from God to do ministry and miracles. According to Acts 7, 55, he was full of the Holy Spirit. As a result of being so full of the Spirit, verse 15 tells us that his face became bright as an angel. Do you notice the pattern of Stephen's life? If we consider that Stephen was like Jesus in so many ways, we must recognize that the thing that made Stephen like Jesus was not anything he did on his own, but what God did for him by way of filling him with the spirit and the gifts needed to accomplish the work of God in his life. See, we are controlled by whatever fills us. If we're filled with anger, we're going to live in constant conflict with one another. If we're filled with jealousy, other people's success will cause us to become angry and distant from them. It will also cause us to wrongfully speak against others and likely tell lies about them. If we are filled with lust, our sexual cravings will lead to a path of destruction and despair. If we're filled with lust and we live out the control of the lust in our life and we're married, we ruin families. We destroy marriages. Because whatever we're filled with will control us. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So he pleased God in every way. But that's not fair, Trin, because he was God. <laughs> okay. But he was also fully human. He subjected himself to the limitations of humanity, and he completely and willfully submitted himself to the Father. Let's just use Stephen as the example, because he's more like us. He's flesh, but he also has a sin nature. But to be full of the Holy Spirit means that God has control, complete control of our lives in every way. Yeah, but that's not even possible, pastor. No, 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 no. no. Oh, yes, it is. If Stephen could be, so can we. So how do we attain this? How does this become a reality for us? How does God get complete control of my life? Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't be filled with wine or alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that when God put the Holy Spirit of the living God in you, he gave you all the provision you need to be holy in every way? He gave you everything you needed to be controlled by him? What God won't do for you is make the decisions for you. 
But he will tell you, don't be drunk on wine because that will control you. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a choice. We choose to drink until we're drunk or we choose to put the bottle down and pursue Christ till we're filled with the Spirit. Stephen is our example of a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was not perfect, but what was he? Ready, write this down. He was obedient. He was obedient to the Word of God. He was obedient to the Spirit of God. And he was obedient to the will of God for his life. That's how we experience the fullness of God in our life. When we subject ourselves to the Word and the Spirit, and we allow the Word and the Spirit to control us. And from that place, we choose to live for Christ. Stephen's obedience to Christ resulted in a life of being full of faith, full of power, and full of wisdom. So let's be like Stephen and ask God to fill us, to fill us with faith, to fill us with power, and to fill us with wisdom. Let's be like Stephen and be faithful and obedient to the Word of God and the Spirit of God so that we can experience in our life the fullness of God. Amen? Second point this morning is that the message of Jesus is countercultural. It's countercultural. The message of Jesus is good news to those who are being saved, but to those who reject it, it is not good news. Stephen, now before the high council, is asked by the high priest in verse 1 of chapter 7, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations about you true? All the lies that are being told about you, are they true? And so Stephen responds to this by preaching a sermon that takes up the entire chapter 7 of Acts. I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it on your own, not right now. But you should sometime. And essentially what Stephen says is that as I look at the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament Bible, God's plan of redemption is revealed to us. And the person of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the temple. And you who have put me on trial are guilty of murdering the one who fulfilled the law in the temple because you have rebellious hearts towards God. Oh, they didn't like that. You can imagine that, right? See, Stephen was on trial for what he believed and taught about Jesus and the Bible. And when we stand up for our faith as Christians, we too will stand in the world on trial because the message of the gospel is countercultural. 
The message of the gospel says, I can't save myself, but God can save me, and he's done everything he needs to to save me. So I must turn to him. The gospel says, life's not about me, my pleasure, and fulfilling my needs. The gospel says, I must turn from myself and turn to God and then live for God as I serve others. That's totally counterculture. Culture says you. God says others. While Stephen was accused of blasphemy against the law in the temple, he convincingly pointed out that he wasn't the one on trial. He flipped the script. He said, actually, you're all on trial before God because of your rebellious heart. And in chapter 7, verse 51 to 54, we read this. Stephen says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. Let me ask you, what was the Sanhedrin full of? Not the Holy Spirit. What were they full of? Anger. How do we know? The gospel presented to them turned them into an angry mob upon which they shook their fist at Stephen out of anger from God, anger towards God. See, the law was never intended to save people. The law was always intended to expose the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It was to convict us of our sin. And then there was the temple, a place where people went to meet with God, worship, and make sacrifices so their sin could be forgiven. And really what Stephen is saying is, Jesus is the one who brings salvation, not the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly so that when you put your trust in him and by faith believe in him, because of his grace towards you, you can be saved. Oh, and by the way, the temple... Well, no longer do you have to go to the temple to meet with God and sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin because Jesus himself is the ultimate sacrifice for you. And when his blood covers your sin, you're forgiven. And when you're forgiven, you have access, direct access to God the Father. They didn't like that message. They didn't believe that message. But Stephen knew it to be true because it was true. See, worship isn't about where we worship. It's about the one we worship. And God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Stephen flipped the script on the Sanhedrin. He put them under trial for murdering the Messiah. The message Stephen delivered, of course it wasn't popular. 
It even got him killed. But let his courage and his faithfulness be an example to us of what it means to live an uncompromising faith, one that we will stand boldly and confidently in the Word of God. The third point is that living for Jesus is spiritually rewarding. Verse 55 and 56 says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. You know what Stephen did? He took his eyes off his circumstances and he fixed them on Jesus. And as a result, he was able to see life from an eternal perspective. And that was a game changer for Stephen in that moment. And that will be a game changer for you as well. How often do you find yourself in a situation or circumstance where it doesn't seem fair and you can't believe that God lets you go through that? And you cry out to God and you say, how dare you, God? I can't believe this is what's going on in my life. And rather than looking around at the circumstances and comparing yourself to everybody else and their circumstances, you know what we ought to be doing? Looking to Jesus. For when we look to Jesus, what we recognize is that he's with us. That he will go through this with us. That he'll give us the power to endure. And what we'll be able to do is see life and our circumstances from an eternal perspective, and that is a game changer. Does Stephen's words sound familiar to you? I looked up to heaven and I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. If that sounds familiar, it is familiar because Jesus actually said this very same thing when he was before the Sanhedrin just months prior to this when they found him guilty and crucified him on the cross. He was asked if he was the Messiah. In Matthew, actually, chapter 26, the same high priest, same ruling authorities asked Jesus this question in Matthew 26. The high priest said to Jesus, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power of God's right hand coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus said, when you look to heaven, you will see me and I will be at the right hand of the Father. He goes on to say, Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy! Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. The same verdict that Stephen got. Guilty. You deserve to die. I want you to notice, if we were to read through the Gospels in Hebrews, we would find every reference to this Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen looks up, and he doesn't see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. What difference does this make? Why does this matter? 
I think it matters. Because what we must recognize in this moment, what as, as, as Stephen stood firmly in the truth and the word of God and proclaimed the gospel boldly before the Sanhedrin, Jesus stood up and was advocating on his behalf before the Father. And Jesus stood up, and I think he was applauding, and I think he was there for Stephen. The other thing I think happened in this moment, that when Stephen died, Jesus was standing up, welcoming him home. Think about your life. When you face extreme personal difficulties, do you lose hope? Do you ask, why me? Do you become angry with God? Or do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Do you recognize and realize that Jesus is there being your advocate? He's cheering you on. And should your stance in the gospel result in death, he will welcome you home. Stephen is an example of one who is courageous, who looked to Jesus and looked to the blessings of God because he remembered that God was with him. Point number four and our last point, we're going to wrap it up. Living like Jesus is personally demanding. It's personally demanding. Verse 57, then they put their hands over their ears to silence the message of the gospel and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. They weren't angry with Stephen. They were angry and hostile towards God and the message of the gospel, and they took it out on Stephen. But Stephen stood firm in the truth. Who was present? We're introduced to a young man named Saul. This is the Saul who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul because his life was changed by the gospel. We're now introduced to Saul who was standing in approval of the killing of Stephen. He didn't stone Stephen, but he took their coats and he watched it all and gave approval to it. He was a major critic of Stephen. The Apostle Paul went from persecuting preachers of the gospel to becoming a preacher of the gospel himself. Stephen's last words reflected his desire to live and to die like Christ. He was a man full of grace and power. Do his words remind you of anybody else's words? I hope they remind you of Jesus's. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked out and he said, Father, receive my spirit. He looked out and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, in a moment of dying because he's being stoned to death, he looks to the Father and he says, Jesus, 
receive my spirit. And he looks to those who are killing him and he pleads with God, do not hold their sin against them. A man full of power and grace. When you would want nothing but revenge on your enemy, Stephen pleads for grace. And you know what I believe? I believe that God honored his request. This grace is better understood as loving kindness towards others. I believe that God heard Stephen's prayer and he answered it by bringing salvation to the Apostle Paul. And through Paul, the ministry of the gospel goes even further. Stephen lived, loved, and served God like Jesus did. He even died like Jesus did, not on the cross, but suffering persecution. See, many believe, as I do, that Stephen's prayer extended God's kindness towards Saul, who eventually became Paul, who eventually helped advance the gospel all over the known world. Like Stephen, we can remain faithful to Jesus despite intense persecution because we know that Jesus himself, regardless of our situation or circumstance, holds the future of our lives in his hands. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this man named Stephen the example that he becomes to us as we seek to become like you, Jesus. May we, like Stephen, be able to look beyond our enemies and the obstacles and problems of life and, and fix our eyes on you, Jesus. That regardless of our, our situation or even our circumstances, help us to be ready to respond with godliness to the ungodly in our life. Help us to stand firm in the faith, even if it causes us to lose comfort and reputation, friends and freedom, or even our very lives. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us for ministry that we may never be ashamed to tell others about Jesus. Amen.